0: living Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Of water wash well, I tell you, if there is one job that I would love to have, and hate to have, if I live in Indiana, since I live in Indiana, it's a weatherman. This is a great example today of what I'm talking about. Hey, it looks like snow today, maybe. Hey, we're going into a warming trend, most likely. You know, and, and so the thing is for, for the weatherman, you know, he he gets it wrong most of the time and still keeps his job. And we still keep going back to them to find out what the forecast is for the next day. I mean, it's gotta be a great job to have, right? But I know that it's frustrating, because I, Brian Wilkes just texted out, a, he said, this is frustrating, because they were talking snow, and now they're not. And he says, I know this is frustrating for everybody. You know, because you want to have a good forecast. You want to be accurate in your predictions, because people rely on your information. <laughs> Here in Indiana, uh, one shout from the weather team about snow sends people running to the grocery store for? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what's the deal there? What, what is that? <laughs> you know, when it was uh, cold, really cold, like bitter cold, a few weeks ago, I ran to uh, the store uh, the day before. It was chilly that day. really. It was pretty cold that day, really windy. And I went into the store, and there were three loaves of bread left on the entire bread aisle. <laughs> at Walmart. I mean, you know, they have sh- trucks all the time, right? And they were out. Well, we can chuckle at our behavior here in Indiana, but there are some places in the country where if you live there and the weatherman shouts something, you better get ready. So here's a video about some people that live in North Puget Sound over on the West Coast who've been getting pummeled regularly with snow this past February. Here's how they get ready. Now, they know how to get ready for a snowstorm, don't they? I mean not just milk, bread and eggs, but the whole the whole nine yards. well here in luke twenty one verses three uh, five to thirty eight Jesus is shouting, "People get ready and this is this is a big bite we're going to take a big bite of scripture this morning. It's a lot to go through, but these words are still shouting today to us. People get ready. So as we get ready to jump in here, let me pray for us. So that we could ask the Holy Spirit to help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, this, this book of Luke that we've been going through. It is it is so good to read and understand what Jesus did and what he said. And remember all the things that we need to be able to live out this life. And and today we come to just a important passage about how we should live in light of what's coming. And I just would pray that uh, through these words, Lord, you'd encourage our hearts, that you would convict us, that you would send us out today with something to do to be prepared for the day we see you. Father, it's only by the power of your spirit that that's going to happen, that you would continue to mold and shape us. So translate these words, use them for your kingdom in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so in verses 5... To 24, Jesus begins his forecast, and so the first thing we got to do to get ready is listen to the predictions. So I'm going to read verses five to 24. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, "As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down." And they asked him, "Teacher." They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all all nations. and And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And welcome to Living Streams Community Church. Wow. So Jesus, he overhears this conversation about people admiring the temple. And there was a lot to admire. I mean, the temple truly was magnificent. It had been under construction for 50 years. Herod was sparing no expense. And so people are talking about it. They're admiring it. And that triggered Jesus, um, that triggered his uh, predictions here. Uh, that The temple was covered on the outside with gold. And Josephus wrote, when the sun shone on it and you tried to look at the temple, it was like trying to look... ...at the sun. So it was magnificent. There were also parts of it that were white marble. And so when you saw it off in the distance, it looked like a city on clouds. One of the largest stones that's there, that it's still remain there, you can still go measure it, is it measures 45 feet long, which is 5 feet wider than the church, and 11 and a half feet high and 12 feet deep. Massive. The perimeter of the temple measured just under a mile. So if you think about the perimeter of the lot here with mire... All the way around, you know, over to the woods and all the way around. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. So the temple is this massive building worthy of admiration. It's majestic. And Jesus spoke up and he's like, there's a storm coming. And everything you see that's so incredible, so beautiful, so permanent is going to be torn down. There won't be one stone left upon another. And then the people answer, oh, that's crazy talk. You know, you're just a fool. What are you saying? Look at this place. No, that's not what they say. They don't say that. What do they say? When? Why do they say when? Because they believe in the one who is predicting. You see, Jesus isn't your typical weather person. Uh, His predictions, they don't just get close to hitting the nail on the head. They describe exactly what is going to happen. And so that makes these predictions more like promises. Then you know, they're different than any of the predictions that we, that we are accustomed to hearing. So Jesus is predicting, but he's also promising. There's no qualifier to what he's saying. He says, oh, we'll have, to, we'll have to see how this pans out tomorrow. You know, he's not saying that. This. this is going to happen. Now, what he says happens exactly as he describes it here. The Roman army systematically comes and tears down the temple stone by stone. Amazing. In verses 10 and 11, he predicts that nations and kingdoms will go to war against each other. Um, He predicts earthquakes and famines and disease and great signs in the sky. And all of those things that he predicts came true. They came true between 33 AD, about the time that he left, to 70 AD when uh, Jerusalem was sacked by the Roman army. In 61 AD and 63, there were earthquakes. In Phrygia and Pompeii, killing thousands of people. In 66 AD, there was a Jewish insurrection against the Roman government. Uh, there were famines during the reign of Claudius and uh, Nero between 41 and 68 AD. And in 66 AD, Josephus recorded this huge comet in the sky in his writings. So all these things are happening. Then if you look in verse 20, uh, it says, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies... You know that its destruction is near. And now, so that was AD 70 when the Roman army came in, led by the general Titus. And he attacked the the city. He surrounded Jerusalem and they began to tear down all the walls. The attack took almost six months to complete. And they sacked the city. So everything that Jesus prophesies here has come true in some 40 years after he said it. So, if all of this stuff has happened, why are we having to listen to these predictions today? Well, this is a passage that uh, you want to wear bifocals with. You know, I wear bifocals. Uh, so I can see, a, see up close, right? And I can see far away, clearly. So, that's what's going on in this passage. There is a near fulfillment to Jesus' words. They were all future for the people that heard them the first time. But there was this near fulfillment that happened by by 70 A.D. And then there's also a far fulfillment. So you need to read and look at this. There's a background to this. Jesus is just not just he's not just describing the fall of Jerusalem and the judgment of God on that city for their sins. He's also describing the fall of the world and the judgment of God on the on all of mankind that will come because of our sins. And that gets more clear when we read the next passage when he starts talking about his second coming. So before we get to that, if, 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 if Jesus has predicted, which, which he has, and so in effect he is, he's promised, and, and those promises came true in the short term, and there's still a long-term fulfillment, that means the thing that he said to the people back then, the instructions and warnings that he gave, are still relevant to us today, and we need to listen to those too. So we don't want to just hear what he says to those people as, as good advice for how we should live, or just suggestions for living. This is unlike any other forecast that we ever hear So back in verse 7, when the people asked when, he didn't really answer their question when, but he kind of gave them some information. He said, don't be led astray. There's many who will come in my name, claiming the time is now. The end is near. Don't run after them. You know, when you start discussing the end of the world, it can be a fascinating conversation because, you know, you can have all kinds of theories, and there's all kinds of theories out there. And it can just be captivating. And many people coming in Jesus' name um, with good intentions put all their focus on figuring out the signs of the times, how, how what's going on in the world is connected to Scripture. And there's TV shows about it, and there's websites, and there's huge followings of people that are running after those kind of people. But the thing is, you can put so much focus on the future and what's going to happen there that you start miss, you start missing what should be going on in the present. And in the present, there's work for us to do. There's a mission to accomplish, and it really doesn't have a whole lot of anything to do about what's going to happen in the future. So, the people you want to follow are not the ones saying, hey, the end is near. The people you want to follow are the ones saying, hey, Jesus saves. Pick up your cross and follow me. Not my will be done, but thine be done. Don't give up meeting together and all the more as you see the day approaching. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Those are the people that you want to be following. Don't focus so much on the future that you forget how to follow. Jesus, in in verse 9, encourages um, us when you hear about wars and the storm that's coming. He says, don't be afraid. This is not the end. It's just a prelude to the end. You know, fear... Fear's pretty common when our world gets shaken. Um, and, and we feel that. We feel that when we realize how little control we have over our lives. And when we can feel that fear. When we get a bad diagnosis from the doctor, we can feel that fear. When, when something bad happens in the world, you know, when, when hurricanes or fires or floods or earthquakes hit close to home, we feel that fear. I remember one time before we started the church, I was laying in bed about 7 o'clock in the morning. And I was half awake, but the the house was shaking. And I was like, huh? what's going on? And I thought about spiritual warfare. <laughs> That was the first thing that crossed my mind. And this church planting stuff is no joke. Uh, and then I realized that was an earthquake. You know, it just unsettles us. We feel fear when we see and hear and feel these kind of things. I mean, even snow, right? Rush to the store, get the eggs, milk, and bread. You know, just it's a, it's a testimony to, to what we fear, how much we fear. So Jesus is lovingly telling us here, when the world begins to crumble, do not be afraid. It's not the end, it's just the beginning of the end. And in the end, you're going to be okay because you're with me. So, he says, don't be led astray. Don't be afraid. A couple of really important instructions for us to listen to and work and live out every day. So in verse 12, Jesus describes the storm that his followers are going to have to endure before Everything uh everything hits. And so again, all of this happened to the believers who were following him at the time. But he's also describing how the church is going to be treated um, before he comes back again. And so it's going to be rough. What he's describing there is persecution that's coming our way. We'll be arrested, we'll be put in prison without trial, we'll be brought up before high officials. Um, and questioned, all because we name the name of Jesus. Which is kind of crazy, don't you think? But this is not something that we're just supposed to survive. This is something we're supposed to take advantage of. We're supposed to speak up for our Savior when we get brought before these people. And so Jesus says, don't worry about what to say. Don't, Don't prepare ahead of time. I'm going to give you words and I'm going to give you wisdom that nobody's going to be able to argue against. Now, that does not mean that I should not prepare for Sunday morning messages. It does not mean that you shouldn't have your testimony written out and and memorized about how you came to faith in Jesus. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have some basic outline of the gospel written down, knowing what that is to be able to tell somebody. It doesn't mean that. Jesus is describing a situation where the Holy Spirit is going to bring words to our minds, arguments in the moment when we are under attack. And there's testimonies of people where that happens. Now Jesus, He keeps going and He says that people we love and trust, parents, siblings, aunts, uncles, cousins, uh, friends, uh, people that know how we believe, they're going to turn us over to the officials. They're going to think they're doing a good deed by doing that. And some of us are going to lose our life for Christ. Christ. Persecution in the world today of Christians is on the rise. It's more and more common than it ever has been. These uh, statistics here from Open Doors USA. Every month, 255 Christians are killed in the world. 104 are abducted. 180 Christian women are raped, sexually harassed, or forced into marriage. 66 churches are attacked. 160 Christians detained without trial. And imprisoned. What is going on in the world is real. We just don't hear about it. The persecution is happening. And it's hard for us to imagine it. Because we aren't facing that right now in our country. And we have this wonderful freedom to be able to do this. But it's real. Every so often, Pastor McQuan will send me a video that somebody took with their, with their phone. And it's a picture of somewhere in India where Christians are being beaten up and kicked and burned. And it just happens every so often, and I don't. You know, when I, I don't even want to watch. It's awful. It's awful to watch, and I'm not really sure why he sends it to me, um, except just to say, hey, this is going on in the world. Pray for our people. You know, our country is not getting more friendly toward Christians. You know, we're we're the hate, haters. Uh, you know, we're the we're the racists. Uh, uh, we're uh, we're the bigots. We're, we're the ones that are against women's rights. You name it. You know, Christianity in our country is no longer good. That is the question kids coming out of high school have to discern now today. Not is Christianity true? Is it good? Because the world's telling us it is not good. I'm telling you, people get ready. It is going to come our way. Now, Jesus isn't trying to scare us. He's trying to prepare us. Okay? He's telling us, this is what you're going to see. This is what you're going to feel. This is what's going to happen to you. This is what you need to do. But you're going to be okay. And then he ends with an assurance in verses 18 and 19. Not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you, you'll gain your lives. Wait a second. Didn't he just say like, in the previous verse that some of us are going to be martyred for our faith? And now he's saying that even our hair is going to be all right? So which is it? It's both. We will suffer and die physically for our faith, but spiritually, we will not perish. We will be just fine. No harm will come to us. He tells, what, he tells the people what to do when, when Jerusalem gets surrounded. You know, get out of Dodge. <laughs> get out of town. You don't want to be in the town when the, when the wrath comes down. And so the Gentiles, they go in, they trample it underfoot, they kill people, they take prisoners. But there's going to be an end to it. This is all part of a plan. God is bringing vengeance on the people. It is His judgment. So as we look at our world and we read these words, I think we can see, uh, we don't have to look very far to see Jesus' words coming true. If we, if we look, we can see it. And the question is, are we going to listen to His predictions? Are we going to listen? Jesus is the one predicting. And that means these predictions are promises. If he would have told us on Wednesday we were going to have 5 inches of snow this Sunday, we'd have 5 inches of snow. That's that's how it would work. But he's not telling us about that. You know, he's the only one in the loop on the plan. So are we going to listen to him? Are we going to get ready? Now, the next group of verses are going to encourage us to get ready by looking for the signs. So it's verses 25 to 32. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So there's a definite shift in his predictions. He's now talking about future events when he comes back the second time. And he says there's there's going to be signs of that. There's going to be strange signs in the heavens. There's going to be signs in the weather. Extreme weather, extreme enough that it will cause widespread panic throughout The world is people are terrified and they have this sense of foreboding. They have this sense something bad is going to happen. They're going to feel that. And so the heavens will be shaken and then the Son of Man will come back on the clouds in power and great glory. And everyone is going to see him. Everyone. And then he tells this parable about trees. he says, look, when, when you start to see the leaves come out of the trees, you know that summer is just around the corner. And so, when you start to see these signs, you know I'm not far behind. And so what he's telling us, look for the signs. And the signs of Jesus' return and the inauguration of God's kingdom and its fullness here on earth is going to give us so much help to walk out our every day as things get difficult. Um, and we want to be ready when he comes. And so he, he tells us, you know, right there in the scripture, he says, he says straighten up. Stand up when you see these things. Stand up and lift up your head. And that's going to be harder and harder to do as these predictions become more and more real in our lives. But the signs are there to help us persevere. That they're there for encouragement. They give us hope. The signs give us hope that what Jesus has promised us is true. You know, it seems like I've known Jesus is going to come back my whole life. I don't remember a time in my life that I didn't know that truth. Um, and it, it seems like it's never going to happen. You know, it, it, it's easy uh, to lose faith in what he has said. I mean, how long ago did he say that? Uh, but then, uh, I'll see a sign. I'll see something. And it will encourage my heart. That It will tell me. It will say, hey, these words are true. This prophet is reliable. Put your hope in him. It's going to happen. Stand up and look up. The signs give us motivation. Motivation uh, to keep serving. Um, if we didn't have them, it'd be easy to forget what Jesus said. That it, that it isn't real. That it's not going to happen. So they give us motivation. And, and uh, if we didn't see those signs, we'd start living for this world instead of for the next world. So, but then we see a sign. right? We see something and then we read about it or hear it. And it's just like the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart and says, Keep going. And you get this boost of energy. Just keep going. So the signs give us Motivation they also give us a focus for our life. And I was thinking, when Jesus comes back, how do you want to be found? I was thinking, man, it'd be cool to be found on my knees in prayer. Or preaching a message. Or shepherding my family. Maybe on a mission trip. Or, Or a Talking to somebody that's struggling. Serving my king somehow when he comes. Wouldn't it be amazing if Jesus came back and found you sweeping the church by yourself? Or cleaning the toilet? That'd be even better. <coughs> what if he found you in the nursery serving the little ones? Oh, by the way, that's not going to happen unless you volunteer for the nursery. <laughs> Seeing the signs of Jesus' return, give us a greater chance to be about the King's business more regularly and more often in our life. They give us focus. And the signs give us confidence. Confidence to believe. I love Jesus' confidence in the Two verses, 32 and 33. It says, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Those are some bold statements, aren't they? The first one can be kind of confusing. They sound like Jesus is saying that he will come back. Yeah, he won't come back until all... Uh, well, sir. He will come back and all the people that are alive then will still be alive. They won't have passed away. It sounds like that's what he says. This generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. But he couldn't have meant that because that didn't happen and he wouldn't make that, that kind of mistake. So part of understanding what he's trying to say there is understanding why he's saying it. Okay? He's not trying to give people information to be able to figure out when he's coming back. It's not about the timing of it. It's about the confidence in it. He's trying to give them confidence, the truth of it. So here's what he means. There's different interpretations of this, but it all comes down to the word generations. Generations. What does he mean by generations? If you look at the original word and then look at the other places in the Bible where that's used, there's a couple different ways it's used. One of the the ways it's used is is it refers to an ethnic group or a race. And so Jesus could be saying, uh, and if that's so, if that's how he's using the word, then he would be referring to the Jews. And so he's saying that the the Jews will always be there until I come back again. Which is true. Think about that. I mean, there's no other people group in the history of the world that has had more persecution than the Jews. And their tribe still remains. So that that could be very well what he's meaning there. It could also be, the generation could also be describing not a who, but a how. In, in the Bible, there, there are phrases like that the evil generation. Or, you know, uh, he could be referring to his followers. So, either one of those, if, if that's what it meant, would, would be true today. So, he's basically saying, there will always be evil people until I come back. Or, there will always be my followers until I come back. Both things giving confidence to his words. And then he says, just like this generation will always be, my words will always be. He wants us to have confidence in His Word. It is eternal. He's not just a great forecaster. Or the best that ever lived. He is the Son of the living God. He is at one with the Father and the Spirit. He is not only the one speaking the words, He will be the one bringing them to life. Jesus is predicting. How much sure can we be of any information we have about the future? How much more confidence should we get From the signs that he's given that these things are true and it's going to happen. How much do we need to stand up and lift our heads? Now, Jesus' words, what he's saying here doesn't just apply to the the predictions about the future. It applies to all of his word. All of his word is eternal. And so as these signs continue to get... More and more reels. We begin to see them as they become closer and closer to home. You want to make sure that God's word is the book that you know the best above any other book that you own. Because it will help you stand. And it will help you keep your head up while we wait for him to come. Did you happen to see an incredible sunset last week? I got a picture of it. Can you see that? That was really cool. A lot of people saw that and a lot of people posted it online. And when I, when I saw that, I thought of him coming back, you know. And I was like, there's a sign. There's help there. There's there's hope. There's motivation. There's focus. And there's confidence there. So look for them. Look for the signs. And then the last four verses. Need a break? break? good. All right, last four verses they're going to help us get ready by encouraging us to live for the day. And so verses 34 to 38. But watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times. Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. And to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple. But at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. So Jesus gives us some pretty straightforward instructions here about how we're to live waiting for the day. Waiting for that day when he, when he comes. And we, he said, we want to be careful to not let our hearts get weighed down by distractions in the world. H- have you noticed um, <clears throat> when you're driving, um, you know, and you're kind of seeing a car coming at you, have you noticed how many people who are driving are looking down at their phone? Or they got the head bob going. Or they're just totally oblivious that they're coming over the center line into your lane and you got a... <laughs> It's happening. People are driving distracted. They're trying to type on their phones when they're driving. Jesus is calling us to not live distracted. To not live distracted. The first thing he mentions is a physical distraction. Don't be under the influence of anything that's going to impair you physically. And then he mentions drunkenness and dissipation as an example. Now we all know what drunkenness is. It's drinking too much alcohol. Um, And we know the Bible teaches us to not be drunk. Um, And so, uh, if you're under the influence of alcohol, you are physically distracted from being able to do what God might want you to do. And we're on call 24-7, 365. Dissipation is the physical effects of too much alcohol the next morning. We commonly call that a hangover. And it's miserable. You aren't good to anybody, when you're trying to get over your dissipation. In my younger days, I did my fair share of drinking, and it's only by God's grace that I did not do damage to myself or to people I ran into. But today, I don't drink anymore. Uh, not because I think it's wrong to have a, a beer or a drink, but because God has called me to give it up as an act of worship to him. It was a personal thing that happened. And he used these words in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 13 to 15. This is where he spoke to me about it. He says, "So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires." You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. You know, those words, they really apply to what Jesus is saying to us today. You are not going to be able to prepare your minds for action when you are under the influence. You just can't do it you are going to be able to exercise self-control a lot more easily when you're, not, when you're abstaining altogether. That's why fasting works for losing weight and dieting doesn't. It's just the way it is. Put all your hope in the day, in seeing His face, living for that day like it's going to happen today. Don't be under the influence of anything that's going to lead you to, into a physical distraction. So too much alcohol can do that. Too much food can do that. At the Flex, we had a great weekend. You know, the men got together. One thing we did was we ate a lot. And we had a session after lunch, and I could see the physical distractions from how much food that we ate. Too much food just kind of killed the discussion. Pretty shallow. I need to go take a nap. That's kind of how it went. Too much coffee. It's hard to hear that, but you know what? It, It can really mess you up. Too much coffee, too much exercise, go to the gym, work out, come back, can't walk the next day, you know, physically distracted. Happens to me all the time. Too much work, too much work makes you weary, not enough sleep, sleep deprivation, big problem in our country. Too much work, keep you from, Is a physical distraction. Too much medicine, too much medicine, too much leads to distraction, too much. Now, it can also be too much fun. Too much fun. Jesus mentioned the cares of this life. So this is is more of an emotional distraction than it is a physical distraction. And so, you know, we're so distracted by everything that this world in this country puts on the buffet table for us to consume. You know, we got all this stuff. We can watch all this TV. We can follow all these sports or participate in them. We got the social media world. We got headlines, you know, the news, um, weather, uh, all this stuff. All of it can just pile on an emotional distraction. And then, you know, you add on the things of life that are just annoying or or hard, you know, like car repairs or, um, you know, a bad grade on a test, a bad diagnosis. You know, things that really just kind of come at us. A, a surgery and a recovery. A job loss, a financial loss. Hard things in this life. Grief over a death can just put a heavy burden on us. All these things and a million more. They can occupy our minds and distract us, weighing down our hearts until we're driving with our head down, not paying attention to the road. It's so easy to be there. At the Flex, one of the things that we did... As an activity, was we we took a couple of backpacks and we put some heavy stuff in it, in each one of them. Not too heavy. Just one had a bowling ball and a gun safe, and the other one was full of college tech books. You know, we didn't want to hurt anybody or anything. (laughs) So anybody, you had to put you had to put the backpack on, and then you had to walk across the room, you know, with this backpack on. Then you had to walk back, and then you could take it off and everybody did it everybody felt the weight of the backpack we felt it in our knees it made it harder to walk a straight line it made it hard to walk at all or harder you know i thought are you walking through this life with a heavy backpack of worries and cares are you are you do you have that on this morning it makes everything harder. Everything. It makes staying awake harder, staying alert almost impossible, because all you want to do is sit down. You know, you can, you can take off the backpack, right? You know that. First Peter five seven says, "Cast all your worries and cares on God, because He cares." you. So you can take off the backpack. And when you really do that, when you give God the backpack of your worries and cares of this life, you know what happens? He takes it. He takes it. Your heart gets lighter. And it's easier to walk. It's easier to keep going. It's easier to stand when your heart is not weighed down with the cares Of this life. So we need to get out from under the influence. We need to get out from under the cares. And we need to get under the cross. We need to get under the cross. Jesus says this day is coming on all mankind. Nobody is going to be exempt. He says stay awake at all times. If we're going to do that. If we're going to be about the king's business. That means we can't just give him attention on Sunday morning. Or every other Sunday. Sunday. In fact, we have got to do better than just having our quiet time in the morning all week long. we got to give Him our attention all the time. All week long. Wherever we go, whatever we're doing, we've got to live our life under the cross. Well, that sounds like I won't have a life. You won't. Your life belongs to Jesus anyway. Well, that sounds like I can't have any dreams and plans and ambitions of my own. You can't. But don't worry. Jesus' dreams and plans and his ambitions for you are way better than anything you could come up with. That sounds like I need to surrender my life. You do. Every day. Every single day. You come under the cross of Christ and you live there. And that keeps you ready for the day. Jesus tells us to pray for strength to endure the days that are coming because they're not going to be easy days for his followers. And there's a day coming when we are going to stand before him. And if if we set our hearts on that day, it can be an encouragement to us to be faithful and to be obedient and to endure. How do you feel about that day? About the day you're going to stand before God. For myself, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see his face and to hear his voice and to feel his embrace. I think about it often. But when I think about that, that makes me think of other people that are not ready to stand before him. You know, they haven't come under the cross to seek forgiveness for their sins. They're still doing life without God trying to make their way on their own. Some of those people are very dear to me. And so it makes me want to ask God to hold, put it on hold, so they have time to believe. And then there's a lot of people I don't know that aren't ready. And their lives are no less important than the ones I do know. How do you feel about the day we're going to stand before Him? Will you be standing there before God to give an account of your life alone? You know, saying, well, I did this. Good. I know I did that, but I did this. Will He, Jesus, be standing there by you when you stand before the Heavenly Father and, you know, here comes the account of every careless word and... Jesus is there your friend your God your Savior and he stands there and he hears this red and he says Father it's true this one is a sinner but I know him and my blood's paid for these sins and they're forgiven and he'll say enter your rest how's it going to be? How will it be for you on that day? You know, the leaves are coming out on the trees. Jesus is just around the corner. If you need to come under the cross and believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't wait another day. You can do it today. Now the verses, they finish up telling us how Jesus lived under the cross in these final days. I mean, he's just days away from dying on it what's he doing? He's spending every day in the temple amongst the people that want to kill him. And then he's at night going out to the Mount of Olives. And I can imagine those nights. Quiet. Maybe he went out on the hillside and looked up at the stars and let his Heavenly Father strengthen his soul for the path that he had ahead. To Keep being obedient. Keep walking. Keep going all the way up the hill and dying. You know, I thought that's not a bad example for us to follow as we live for this day of seeing Jesus. You know, spending time with him in prayer and serving him in the middle of difficulties. So we want to get out from under the influence of physical distractions. Walk away from stuff that was about your that was in your former life when you didn't know any better. Now you know better. Live for that day. Don't live like the old guy, live like the new guy. Get out from under the influence. Get out from under the cares. Take off the backpack. Just give it to Him today and trust Him. And then give it to Him this afternoon because you'll have to because you'll put it back on when you drive home. But just keep giving it to Him. Get out from under the cares and get under the cross by faith. By faith in Jesus. And live like this day is the last day. And before we go to bed, we'll see Him. Live like that. Live for that day. Let's have our worship team back up. People, get ready. What do you need to do to get ready? Is there something you need to leave behind? Is there a backpack to offload today? Is there something you need to do? You know, that if He came back today, you'd regret not getting done. Don't wait another day. The leaves are coming out. Let's stand. Let's pray. No, Father, we want to thank You for the words that Jesus spoke that we can feast on this morning and be reminded of the truths and the promises that we're clinging to as we walk these days Lord we we want to um, we want to get out from under some things this morning things that we need to leave behind that are causing us to be distracted things that are part of our old life not our new, help us to see that as an act of worship to living live in for you living for the day that we'll see you letting this world be of less importance to us some here lord need to offload get out from under the cares of this life the backpack they're carrying is heavy it's a burden to them they're tired and weary Give them grace, Lord, today to take it off and trust you with every single one of them. You are in control. We are not. You are the sovereign God who loves us and wants our good. We, we do lift off these backpacks today of worry and fear. And we come under the cross We come under the cross and know that's where we want to live. That's where it focuses us on giving up our life just like you did for us. You promised there would be life in that, Lord. Show us how to live that out today. Keep our minds and hearts focused on the day when we'll get to see you and feel that embrace and hear those words, well done good and faithful servant. We don't shudder with fear at the rough times that we will have ahead we know you've promised that we'll be okay we'll be in your hands and we'll be with you thank you for being a faithful God thank you for the forgiveness we have in Jesus that makes that day a blessing and an encouragement when we get to see you Father fill us with your Holy Spirit today as we go out And we want to go shine for you today. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.